Hey everyone, my name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 58 of Make Ours Marvel, where we are talking about the comic books that came out on stands in June of 1964. It is 15 years before I'm born. Wow. Yeah. Exactly? Like to the month. Yeah. Cool. And we're halfway through 64. It's kind of weird. Well, no, we're not. We have to actually finish this month, and then we're halfway through 64. It's also weird that my mom is like younger than my kids at this point because my mom's, oh, a, fi- my oh, mom's yeah. a 57 baby and this is 1964 so she was wow yeah she was itty bitty that's weird it's weird so did she collect spider-man or daredevil <laughs> my dad read some comics my father-in-law read superman stuff i don't think either one of them was collecting right now how cool um, would it be if we had a mom or a dad who like bought all these originally and actually had the foresight to save them and stuff and now we have them Dude, people tell stories about getting like stacks of comics from their dad or their uncle's attic or something. I'm like, wow. I know, right? Gosh. Oh, well. So we're going to start off with Journey into Mystery 107. Yeah. It is new. It is different. It is seemingly unbeatable. You and Thor are about to meet the Grey Gargoyle. So there's a fun little cover with Thor swinging his hammer at a bunch of stone people. One of the stone people appears to be moving. With a big old glowy hand. Well, the cape is the giveaway. Yeah, yeah. He's he's not a normal person. He's not, and and the like goggly mole man eyes. Uh huh. The mighty Thor, when the gray gargoyle strikes, settle back in a cozy, comfortable chair. Be sure you won't be interrupted for a while, and please don't read this if you're in a hurry, because you're really going to enjoy this one. Written by Stan Lee, who needs the money. Drawn by Jack Kirby, who enjoys the practice. Inked by Schick Stone, who loves the publicity. And lettered by Art Simic, whoever he is. <laughs> All right. So um, there's a splash page of Thor flying past a stone gargoyle, the kind you find on the cornices of buildings. That has nothing to do with the comic. I think it's just a gargoyle because it's symbolic of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So Don's chilling in his office. Decides to become Thor. Turns into Thor and Jane walks in. Yo, it's Thor. And he's like, oh, crap. What am I going to do? Where is Don Blake? I heard he turned me into those bad guys last issue. And I'm going to smash his face to pulp with my hammer made of Uru. And Jane's like, no, uh, um, please don't. Because he's cute. And if you smash his face, he won't be cute anymore. I still love him and stuff. Even though I got mad at him. And Thor's like, oh. Oh, you you still love him? Well, then that's um that's that's all right then. I think I'll just go out this window. Hold back. And as he's flying through the air, he's like, "She loves me. Oh my god, she loves me. It's amazing." And uh, he like flies past the Central Park lovers. He's like, "Yo, y'all are in love. Guess what? Thor is in love too." And it's super cute. And he's flying around, and this plane lands, and this dude gets off the plane, and they go to disembark the plane, and the plane is full of stone statues, which is crazy sauce. So dude keeps walking through town, he goes and takes a cab, and while he's in the cab, he has a little bit of a flashback, how he was just playing with some chemicals, and he splashed some on himself, got hit by lightning, got super speed powers, and turned into the Flash. He wishes. 
he wishes. He splashed some goop on himself, and instead of turning into the Flash, he turned into the Gray Gargoyle. His hand turned to stone. His, he touched his other hand. It turned to stone. He touched his face. His face turned to stone. But these stone uh, uh, changes only last for 24 hours, and so he just has to like not touch his face, and he has a normal face, puts on gloves, and he's chill. Goes and robs some banks, steals some jewels, and gets bored with all the loot. So he's like, huh, what do I can do? Hey, Thor had that fight with Cobra and Mr. Hyde in the newspaper here. Think I'm going to go take that hammer? Because if Thor is immortal, he must be getting his immortality from his hammer. That makes all the sense in the world. Going to go steal a hammer. That's me. I'm stealing a hammer. So back in New York City, Thor's flying around, sees uh, people like a cab driver who's been turned to stone. And the cops are like, what are we going to do with this cab driver turned to stone? Thor says, hey, I know what you should do. Take that stone cab driver to the office of Dr. Don Blake. He's this little man who lives over on Fifth Street, and uh, you can find him. Anyway, so they take it to Don Blake, and Thor turns to Don Blake, and he's like, "Who? this is a stone statue. But if I put the stethoscope up to his chest, I can still hear a heartbeat inside. That's crazy sauce. So that's when the gray gargoyle is like, all right, they took the stone body to Dr. Don Blake's house. That means Thor must be there too. So I'm going to go terrorize Dr. Don Blake and make him give me Thor. So he goes, he terrorizes Dr. Don Blake and says, hey, give me Thor. Dr. Don Blake runs out, runs up to the roof, turns into Thor. Hey, I'm Thor now. And they fight. Um, he chases Gargoyle through the city. Gargoyle's trying to get his hammer. At one point, um, he makes a bomb explode in Thor's face, which knocks the hammer out of his hand because Thor's clumsy. And Gargoyle goes and gets the hammer, except he can't pick it up because, you know, it's, it's Thor's hammer. So Thor goes and grabs the hammer out of his hands. But then the Gargoyle's like, aha, now you're close enough for me to touch you. So he touches Thor's face. Thor turns into stone, topples over. And when he topples over... The hammer smashes the ground, which turns Thor back into Don Blake. So Don Blake's like, huh, okay. He said something about the power only lasting for 24 hours. So if I turn back into Thor within 24 hours, I'll be stoned. That's going to be bad. So I'm going to figure out how to solve this on my own. I know a motorcycle with a movie camera and a projection lens. That's what I'll do. So he starts like driving through the city, projecting this image of Thor into midair because that's how projectors work. Until Gargoyle sees the image of Thor flying through there. He's like, ah, there's Thor. How did my stone stuff wear off so quickly? And he goes after Thor. And of course, he flies right through Thor. And um, then he sees Don Blake on the motorcycle. He goes after Don Blake until they both crash into the pier and crash into the ocean, and the gray gargoyle is made of stone, so he sinks to the bottom of the ocean, and Don Blake, who has trouble walking, still manages to swim himself to safety, and it's the end. Yeah. What's all this business with Thor, like, hanging out and talking to them afterwards, though? What are they talking about? I can't remember. Um, I think the next day he just goes to see... <laughs> Jane's like, Dr. Blake isn't here, Thor. Oh, the cab driver comes to say thank you oh. just at the same time that Thor is there. No, they publish a thing about how the physician saved the day. So now everybody likes Don Blake again. That's what it was. Right, right, right. And then Thor's like reading that paper and everybody's like, gee, Thor, you're brave and stuff. But who who knew that this lame guy was actually cool? Because everybody hated him at the beginning of this issue. Right. But now, right. now he's cool. But that was a little weird. Like, we don't really see super Superman. Whoops. We don't really see Thor just hanging out in Blake's office reading the paper with 
Jane and cab drivers and police officers and stuff. Yeah, I mean, he turns into Thor at the beginning because, um, well, I start that sentence and I forget exactly why. I know why. He turns I know why. Thor. It's actually a really why, why, why? interesting reason. He couldn't figure out the answer to his Odin, Jane Foster, want a date, can't date conundrum. So he's like, I'm going to turn to Thor because he can figure it out. Which I actually had a note about. Uh huh. So the wisdom of I, Solomon, <laughs> maybe, because I would have expected Blake to be considered the more intelligent person. Because mm-hmm. they've played that card before that you know Don Blake has human intelligence that's pretty high, and Thor is more wise in the ways of the god stuff, mm-hmm. and sometimes can't think as well as Doctor Blake can. But Thor's so Thor's not super intelligent. So why is he turning into Thor to solve his problem? Because he says, as an immortal of Asgard, Thor, son of Odin, may be able to find an answer. I don't know. Maybe he was just frustrated and trying anything. Maybe it's a different perspective. Maybe he's like, how do I deal with this crazy Odin guy? I know who could deal with him. His son. I like the perspective idea because like, it's maybe not intelligent, but just, you know, like two different brains working on a problem. Mm-hmm. He was so cute flying through oh, the air. Oh, gosh. That made me smile so much. Yes. Yeah. He plucks flowers and hands them to this couple on a bench as he flies by. I mean, that's a story to tell your grandkids. Right. That was or really fun. Give me these flowers. I press them in this book here. He doesn't usually uh, let himself go like that. So that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very human moment for Thor. And, all right. So. Know, J- oh, go ahead. Well, just Jane confessing that she still loves Dawn after all that mess last episode. She was mm-hmm. just, you know, upset with him, but she's over it now. Yeah. Yeah, I wish they give Jane more to do, but we say that about every every title we cover. So mm-hmm. uh, it's hard to know like who she is really. Um, right. What do you think of the gray gargoyle? I actually rather liked the idea. It's a cool idea. I don't remember ever seeing him in human guys like this in other stories. I feel like he always shows up as the gray gargoyle. But then he, again, I can't really remember any other stories I've read with him in it, so I don't know. He sure looks funny lame when he's like dressing up to be the gray gargoyle, but he hasn't stoned up yet. Right. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Oh, um, that one panel where he's like hunched over backwards? Where he's just like putting his boots on and yeah, yeah, page eight. It's like, yep, just getting ready. Okay, but then once he gets the stone all over his skin, he looks more formidable. Um, it, yeah, he does. I'm trying to think. I can't think of any like famous Greg Gargoyle stories I can think of. A lot of times I just know these guys from the Marvel Handbook stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, of course, recognize him and kind of know what his powers are. But I'm not sure I've ever read a Greg Gargoyle story before this one. And I'm not sure I've ever heard of an immortality hammer. Like, <sighs> Yeah, he doesn't do a lot of research, did he? I mean, it's interesting because you get an outsider's perspective. They have no idea how the superhero stuff works. So, you know, maybe Thor's not actually a god. Maybe his hammer gives him powers and gives him his immortality. But of all the superheroes, like, he does have mythology to him that Iron Man does not. So would you not maybe put two and two together and say he's immortal because he's a god? Well, okay. So that reminds me of how the Ultimates played with the idea. Mm -hmm. No one believed that Thor was a god. That's true. Like they they let him have his you know dementia and they yeah. occasionally fed it when it suited their purposes, but like when it came right down to it, they're like, "Dude, get over it." Didn't help that Ultimate Thor was like talking to himself all the time because of Loki and everything. But right, yeah, right. that's true. I mean, you could say that. It's interesting that Greg Gargoyle like succeeds at being a criminal. We don't usually get that. Like yeah, he- like he's rich. He has a butler. He's robbed everything he's wanted to rob, but the grass is always greener for this guy, and he needs more. 
he's got a pretty successful power and he's managed to go under the notice of, you know, Giant Man and Iron Man. Of course, Iron Man hasn't like fought criminals in a long time. He usually just fights saboteurs and stuff. Um, but Ant-Man used to be gray gargoyles committing the kind of crimes that were up early Ant-Man's alley. Yeah, yeah. His power is a little interesting. Like, um, I guess the one hand that with the palm, the left hand or right hand or whatever, that's the hand that like can turn anything to stone if you touch it. Touch mm-hmm. something, and he could turn himself to stone. But when he turns himself to stone, he can still move. I guess. Yeah, a little bit of a disconnect else there. Can't. And then Doctor Donald Blake. I don't know why he used his full everything right there. Donnie Blake uh, was investigating the stone cab guy. He could hear a heartbeat, so he's not really turning them to solid stone either. It's more like he's coating them with rock or something, so they can't move, but they're mm-hmm. still alive inside. It's a little interesting. interesting. And you notice on the bottom of page nine, he has palm holes in his gloves. Uh-huh. That's interesting. And there's a lot of like him attributing stone as being a thing that allows him to do things that I was kind of like, just because you're made of stone, you can do these things. Some of these things. like Right. And that's just a typical 60s Marvel thing, I guess, is because I'm made of stone, I'm faster than, you know, an average human. What? Actually, wouldn't you be slower or... Because I'm made of stone, I can do triple backflips. What? <laughs> you know? Well, it's kind of like that Daredevil movie. He goes blind and gets his you know, uh-huh. and suddenly he can do backflips and fight people. Um, you mentioned the phrase, a plane load of stoned passengers, and my mind's like, okay, but it's the 60s. Yeah. Just, you know, a oh, plane stoned. Of stoned people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And why did he do that? Just to be a jerk? I think just to be a jerk. Okay. Because he can do it, and that's what he did. That'd be funny if it made the plane heavier and it crashed. Yeah. Because uh. <laughs> it does have to have a certain amount of weight, doesn't it? Yeah, there's like 28 people in there that are all now stone statues. But So the I, cop tells Thor that Avengers have top federal priority. Uh-huh. We get that. We've been getting that this whole, like, the Avengers are just a full, made-up superhero team with everything. And it's, like, kind of weird that they have all that ability already. Oh, yeah. Didn't we decide that... Probably Stark hooked him up with that. Yeah, that's our headcanon that Tony Stark, who works government contracts and stuff, probably. Or we could also say Ant-Man did it. Either one of them could have done it because they both done government stuff. Um, I like a- I like the stone airplane. That was kind of dangerous and scary. It was neat. Oh, like, a little paper airplane. Yeah, he stone? makes a paper airplane, turns it a stone, and throws it like a you know a shuriken or something. Yeah, like a, like a dart. Yeah, slacks and and. It, Bust into the wall like it's going to kill uh, his, you know, Donald Blake's head. That was kind of neat. Yeah, dude, if it hit his face with that kind of impact, that would have been bad. Yeah. Page 11, did you notice the brand of gas? Does it say Marvel Oil? It says Marvel Oil. I love that. Yep. I like the part where on that same page where he's like, okay, you want to fight? Let's fight. And then he just like throws the hammer and breaks the thing the guy's hanging on and this he starts falling and like uh uh greg is kind of just like oh maybe this guy's more dangerous than i thought he was going to be i should have done my <laughs> research scary and um i was a little bit surprised that the stone magic actually worked on thor good point but it's not magic it's science right it's, it's a chemical reaction right but uh, he's a god yeah True. So is, is his physical manifestation subject to chemical science? I guess it is because he lives in our reality and it doesn't just float around like a spirit or something. I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, but yeah, why does it have to? It, it, maybe it only works on humans and he's not human, but I guess it does work on him. Um, I liked the last panel on page 13, how the caption is all about – because he falls over. He gets turned to stone and he falls over and then the, and then the hammer hits the – the ground and he turns back and there's a caption that talks about he turns back because magically the hammer turned him into a whole different person but then donald blake says out loud that molecularly he turned into a whole different person so it was a nice little thing that like there's both magic and science represented in that one panel which is kind of how this character works in a way Mm -hmm. like don blake is the doctor uh you know man of science intelligent guy and then there's the whole magic aspect of his alternate personality so in both cases the explanation worked but one's magic one's science and you mentioned that thor was kind of a um switch of captain marvel i don't know if this is this episode or last episode and you know he's like my physical self changed when my entire nuclear molecular cell structure was altered so it kind of like reinforces that idea that mm-hmm. you know, everything's changing yeah so at first i was i thought i caught them on a in a slip because they they mention that, like, I don't know where, but doesn't Thor or something say, like, just ask for Tony Stark to do this thing for me, to hook me up with his projector? Yes. And I'm like, yeah, but Thor doesn't know who Tony Stark is really Iron Man. Ha! Huh? I caught him in a, a whatever. But then later, darn it, they caught themselves first and they fixed it. They said something like, because really, Tony Stark is best friends with Iron Man or something like that. Yeah, the Avengers help each other. Tony Stark is, of course, the inventive genius. His other identity is Iron Man. And um, and there's a little course, caption. Tony Stark helps the Avengers. It says there's a little caption. Respecting each other's secrets. None of the Avengers are aware of the other's true identities. Right. So that was a cool little touch, but they also denied mm. me. So the Avengers are friends with Tony. They don't know Tony is Iron Man. They, the Avengers don't necessarily know Don Blake from Adam, but Don Blake is taking advantage of his Thor connection with the Avengers connection with Tony Stark. And so it's kind of like, you know, he's sort of exploiting that through his secret identity. It's kind of funny. So, yeah, to, or <laughs> Donald Blake calls his friend who manages a newsreel company. Mm-hmm. And tells that guy to call this guy to ask for Tony to give me this thing. So it's like a he said, he said, he said thing. So we don't really know that it came from Thor, I guess. Um, right. Yeah. And they must know that Tony's involved with Iron Man heavily because, A, he's the bodyguard officially now. And, two, they live in his mansion or, you know, have headquarters in his mansion. I like the idea of it's 24 hours until I can be Thor again. Oh, yeah. Is that why he did that? I didn't even put that together. Yeah, the gargoyle spell lasts for 24 hours, so I dare not change back to Thor during that time or I'll return to stone again. Now, we could think that maybe that wouldn't happen, but Don Blake thinks it's going to happen. Yeah, well, the thing is, you don't know, no, so, like, you might as well play it safe, right? Right. I mean, I guess you could just be like, okay, Jane, I'm going to – oh, I guess you can't do that. No one knows you turned to Thor. You could have someone push you over, but, yeah, that won't work because then they know who you are. And also, that way, Don gets to save the day. Yeah, it, it, it's, you know, an unusual ending. His, well, and I think it feeds into the overall goal of the plot, which is to redeem Don Blake in the eyes of Jane and the public. Mm-hmm. So, but here's my question. Now, I've never ridden a motorcycle. Okay. But you, it seems to me that if you have weak legs, uh, maybe a motorcycle isn't the safest thing. Well, I've never ridden one either, but I used to watch House MD and he got one and he had a lame Leg. Okay, and everybody was like, "You shouldn't have a motorcycle because you have a lame leg." And he was grumpy, grumpy pants house, and he just rode it around anyway. So maybe you can. We don't really know what his issue is. 
And it seems to be inconsistent. It comes and goes. Yeah. Like, can he bend at the knee? Is it just generally weak? Does it have bone issues? Is it a muscle issue? Nerves? Could be anything. And if it's just one leg and your gear shift is in the other foot, then he, you know, theoretically would be okay. Or if he has no ankle problems. Right. Yeah. Maybe it's a knee problem. Maybe it's a thigh problem. Maybe it's a hip problem. I don't know. Apparently he can ride a motorcycle. The whole projector thing falls apart for a number of reasons. Uh, okay. Um, where did he get the footage? He said he. I'm not that I'm not that this is a great answer, but it does say something like I took pictures of me all day racing through. Oh yeah, how did he do that? I can't turn back to Thor. Right. So where do you get the pictures from? Um, what is he projecting on? Because you can't just project an image into the sky. Um, Tony Stark. Tony Stark. Yeah, Tony Stark did have that thing from Avengers number three where he could just send his image anywhere he wanted. Right? Hey, canon. So maybe it's the same technology. Yeah. Interesting. And, and yeah, Gargoyle is going to have to walk away before he can find a beach because New York has a lot of coastline, but not a lot of beach. Apparently, he doesn't need to breathe. Apparently. So even though that other taxi guy has a heartbeat, Gargoyle does not have lungs. But Okay. And we continue our pattern of resolving all of the dramatic twists by the end of the next issue. Yeah, sadly. she Actually, she wasn't even mad at him by the fourth panel of this issue. Right, right. So, anyway. Okay. But I'm done well, with this one at, if you are. Yeah, let's, let's turn our tails to the past. Our, our eyes, not our tails. Turn our eyes to the past for Tales of Asgard, home of the mighty Norse gods. Our legendary tale begins when evil Loki vows... Balder must die. That Written evil and Loki. drawn by the prize-winning team of Stan the Man Lee and Jack King Kirby. That's um, that's a really classic way of them signing their names. That I think it's the first time they've done that. Yeah, I wonder when they got those uh, uh, nicknames. I guess they landed on them just now. It was on see, Tuesday. See, as a comic book nerd growing up, I thought Stan the Man Lee was the only Stan the Man Lee. But apparently, later I learned as a sports fan, there's also a Stan the Man Lee in baseball, who I think oh. had it, who I think had it first. So I don't know. Maybe that's where he got it. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Uh, inked by Vince Coletta, lettering Art Simic. So Balder's just chilling. He's got the animals all around him as he sings and makes music. It's a very Snow White moment. Very musical. Yeah. And Camelot. Luke is like, you know what? I fucking hate Balder. I mean, really. I hate him. I hate him a lot. I I need to kill him. That's what I need to do. I need to kill him. So I need some help to kill him because supposedly, you know, Odin's made him invincible. Can't be killed. So I need some help. Gonna go to the Norn Queen. She knows a lot of stuff. She's the mistress of magic. If anyone can help me out, she can help me out. And so he goes to the Norn Queen. Norn Queen's like, yo, Loki, I don't like you. Leave. He's like, oh, oh, but wait. Um, I need your help. And she says, fine, whatever. And so Loki's like, all right, Balder is invincible. But I know he's got to have a weakness. Does he have weakness? Huh? Huh? Does he? Huh? Tell me. Huh? 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 Does he? Yes, he has a weakness. Mistletoe will hurt him. And Loki's like, ah, that's pretty great. So uh, I'm going to go ask this one troll dude to make me a blow dart gun. Going to put some darts in it that have mistletoe on them. And he sneaks up on Balder 
and Baldur's fighting a sword fight because he's just, you know, chilling out on a Sunday. It's what you do. And he hides behind a pillar, puts a blow dart to his mouth, inhales to blow the mistletoe dart in to kill Baldur when a tongue of fire knocks the dart gun out of his hands. And it is the Norn Queen. She's like, you know what? You know how all of creation is pledged to protect Baldur? That's me. I am also part of creation. So, um, yeah, sucks to be you, dude. Messed up your plans, didn't I? And Baldur's like, I'm still Baldur and I am still awesome. I am still fortified with trust and faith and will always be great until my hair turns white and I'll still be great. Just different way. The end. The end. Vince Coletta really makes Jack Kirby look Prince Valiant-y. Yeah. Prince Valianty is right. Like, that is not even recognizable as Jack Kirby to me. Like, the shapes of things are, but, like, the details are not. Yeah. Like, that first Balder face on the uh, page two. Mm-hmm. I can believe that Kirby sketched that face, but it does not look like a Kirby face. Right, yeah. Um. This is, she does not get a name here, but this is Carnilla, the Norn Queen. Okay, this so is- she's a main, she's a character that comes back. She is pretty significant to Thor's series, especially to the Balder storyline through the 1970s and 80s. And I did not realize that her first appearance went back this far. And of course, when I read through the Thor and I read her first appearance, I had no idea that she was going to become significant later. But yeah, Carnilla the Norn Queen is a person. I like that she's, um, you know, a primarily a magic user, apparently. It looks like it anyway. Um, but unlike loki and enchantress and pretty much any time they seem to suggest as guardians as primarily magic users are evil she is good yeah so that was different change up i thought she'd be evil she looked evil i thought she was going to just work with him but she didn't gene told us about mistletoe last issue he did i think i i was reading this and just trying to wrap my brain around it i know you can't apply logic to mythological magical things but like how did something get by like was he like making a list of everything that exists on the planet? And then the next day was like, Oh, I forgot mistletoe or, uh, or, you know, how does that work? When you cast yeah, a spell her- that says you're immortal to everything, how come mistletoe gets by? Well, evidently all of creation has pledged to save and protect Balder, except mistletoe is just like not there that day. And Loki. And Loki, I guess. I, Loki and mistletoe were, were not there that day. I have a little bit of evil in my heart. Cause that page one, I'm kind of on Loki's side. Oh, yeah? Just like, all right, Balder, we get it. You're perfect. What the heck? It reminds me of, like, Enchanted, you know, where she's in the park singing and all the animals come to her. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just super super weird. What the heck, A little obnoxious. Yeah, a little obnoxious. I'm kind of with – I don't know if I want to kill him, but I'm kind of with ruining his day a little bit. Well, not only is Loki not Odin's favorite son, he's not even Odin's second favorite as Guardian. No, he's not. Like, Balder is the second favorite Asgardian now, and so yep. it's like... And then probably Hemdall. Probably, because I know it's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I liked the twist at the end. Yeah. I did not expect Norn Queen to save the day until I turned to page five, and there she was saving the day. Yeah. Now, do you remember the last time we talked about the Norns was issue 101, and there was that old hag that Loki talked to? Vaguely, yes. This is her, in the purple, in the background, with... With Carnella. Oh, okay. So, and she works for her, or I'm um, not entirely sure, or if she's just, just like there buddies. with her, or what? 
Well, she tells her to keep stirring the witch's brew because we're going to need it when Loki comes back and tries to kill us or whatever. Well, I guess as the Norn queen, she can kind of, uh, you know, boss other Norn people around. Okay, yeah. Whatever a Norn is. Uh, fate. Okay. The Norns are the fates. So are there three fates in her or is she one of the fates? She's one of the fates. She is one of the fates. And the And leader. the queen is, yeah. Okay. And I never really got clear understanding if the whole triple fate thing was a Norse idea or some other idea. So is the third one like a baby? Maybe. Young. Maybe she's down inside that pot where they're stirring. Young, medium, and old or something? Just the whole right. time, whole timeline of a person's life? Because that's the idea that I have from like Game and Sandman and stuff with the fates. Uh-huh. I just don't know. I don't know where the idea comes. I think it's Greek, but I don't know. Well, do we have any um, substantiated uh, uh, something or other that tells us how accurate the story is? Well, it's funny that you asked because I was just bringing up my Tales of Asgard document that Gene Gene, the podcasting machine, has been writing for us. And his thoughts on this issue, being our Asgardian advisor and a worshiper of the Norse gods, he says, Loki really shows no imagination in this issue. As I said with the last episode, in the lore, he tricks blind Hoder into firing the arrow that kills Balder. That means that while Loki is really responsible, Hoder's the one who acted, so he's the actual guilty party. Loki gets tolerated by the other Asgardians, not all of whom are gods, until he starts to insult them at a feast, throwing the worst accusations he can think of at them. That is breaking of the rules of hospitality, and they cast him out for it. Wow. The the killing of Balder is really where Loki goes from the god of mischief to the god of evil. Okay, I can see that. And he also says, it's nice to see the first appearance of Carnella here and her early attachment to Balder. It might be due to an oath now, but it will become something more later on. Ah, much, much, much later on. Much, 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 much later on. Okay, well, that was kind of a cool one. Yeah. Really short. I like short. that one. I like Balder. Um, it seems it has almost nothing to do with the lore except that, you know, the idea of killing him with mistletoe, but they tell a different story about it. Yeah. And he survives. Yeah. But like I said last uh, last time we talked about Thor, the whole stuff with Hoder and the mistletoe arrow, pretty sure they actually have that situation play out in the plot way down the road. Okay. But now... Let's be a little more low-key, a little more street. Low-key. Did I do that on accident? Yes, I did. <laughs> a little more... Uh, urban with Daredevil, who is our most urban character, actually, really, other than Spider-Man, I guess. Um, Daredevil number three on sale with June 2nd, 1964, cover dated August 1964. It is called, wow, Daredevil Battles the Owl, Ominous Overlord of Crime, written by, written with Raw Realism by Stanley, illustrated with daring drama by Joe Orlando. Inked with actual artistry by Vince Coletta and lettered with perfect precision by S. Rosen. Um, and it opens with, I'll just spoil it, but it makes you wait a little bit. Uh, the owl is essentially walking into his building and he walks in casually and confidently and doesn't make eye contact. But everyone around him knows who he either knows who he is or senses that he's freaking evil because they all kind of steer clear and sort of glance at him out of the corners of their eyes but they're all very scared and stuff anyway he comes in he consults his secretary 
She tells him that the tax guy that he hired is freaking out because the government's coming after him. He, the owl, laughs and goes, that's why I hired him. I knew I was doing illegal things, so I hired a patsy. He's like, what? I can't believe you did that to me. So he leaves the building um, depressed. I think he purposely walks in front of a car or maybe the car just accidentally and ironically hits him or something. But anyway, he dies. Daredevil hears it because he's just hanging out on a roof. He gets down there. Um, and he doesn't really do anything because the guy's already dead. But uh, actually, that guy had some papers that might incriminate the owl. So next thing you know, we're back at the owl's place, and the feds are there, or the IRS agents or something, and they're arresting him. And he's like, you have nothing on me, and I'll prove it. I'll show you how much I don't care about this arrest. I'm going to randomly point in the yellow pages under the law section and just hire me a lawyer. Guess who he points to? Nelson and Murdoch. So he calls them. Nelson says, no, we don't really want to uh, defend the likes of you. But Matt overhears that, quickly snatches the phone, says, yes, we do. I'll be there soon. Because Matt wants to to uh, uh, get closer to the owl and also gives a speech when no one's listening about how everybody deserves a, a lawyer, even the, uh, the guilty. So he shows up at the courthouse and they figure out bail and the owl pinky swears that he'll show up on court the next day but of course he doesn't so that leaves matt standing there with egg on his face matt then decides after making some alterations to his costume putting a little backpacky thing on the back so he can put his shoes and some toothpaste in there toothbrush to go look around for the owl he doesn't find him because the owl meanwhile is like across the bay or whatever however new york works in this uh, James Bondian villain kind of lair. It's like this big owl face. And he's um, invited two dudes to come over to help him uh, uh, take over the crime. Because now he's decided, since it's kind of out, that I'm a bad guy. He was trying to be under the radar. But now that that's not going to work anymore, he's just going to go all out and be evil and take over. So he invites one guy who's like a really fast shot and another guy who's so strong he can wrestle a gorilla. And then uh, 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 um, I can't remember what happens. Uh, oh, they decide to go for some reason back to see his lawyer, even though he just made this declaration that he's going to be a bad guy now. He takes the two henchmen that he's now hired, goes back to, the, to Nelson and Murdoch. Matt actually overhears them coming and assumes the wrong thing. He assumes they're up to no good. So he changes to Daredevil and attacks them before they can even get to the office. And then they get in this big fight. The sharpshooter does nothing to him. The really strong guy does nothing to him. Um, He's making short work of all of them. But unfortunately, Karen Page pops her head in to find out what all the ruckus is about. And they grab her and steal her. Or no, they grab her. And threaten her. So Daredevil says, I surrender. So they take him into custody. Custody. They take him to the lair. And they put Daredevil and Karen Page in separate bird cages that are kind of just hovering up there. Um, Then the owl and everybody leaves so that Daredevil can escape. Uh, They tied him up with his uh, own billy club. But they didn't realize there was a hinge on it. So he snaps the hinge, gets out. Inside the billy club, he's got little lock picks, which he uses to get himself out. And then for Karen, uh, he just uses muscle to, like, bend her bar. He gets Karen out, tells her to go get the cops, goes back in to confront the owl. They get into a fight back and forth. Um, eventually, the owl, like, by the way, he has the power to glide. I forgot. 
the owl glides to a boat, tries to get away. Um, I can't remember how. Oh, freaking Daredevil, like, smacks the propeller with the with his billy club and capsizes the boat, but there's no sign of the owl because he's sinking with the gray gargoyle, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So Daredevil swims back to the pier, turns back to Matt just in time for the police to show up. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot that whole bit. Like the owl had invited all the heads of all the gangs in New York to come join him and watch him kill Daredevil. And so now the cops are there thanks to Karen Page, and they're just there like – Picking them up as they show up. So it's like the biggest arrest in New York history or something like that. Everybody's so proud. Um, and then, like, Karen's like, you know, you remind me of someone. If you weren't blind, I would think you were, hmm. And then Daredevil kind of walks away sad. The end. So the um, the the reason he goes back to find Matt Murdock is the, um, like, being the criminal overlord, he decides, I need a mouthpiece lawyer, a lawyer I can control. So that's why he goes and gets them. Okay. And I, I'm trying to figure out where he was having all the bad guys gathered. I can't find that. Um. Yeah, I just remember because the end, that's what they're rounding up. I want you to contact every top gangster, number 16, page 16. Okay. And mob leader in the city. Tell them that there's a new overlord, the owl, and he's going to deliver Daredevil to them. That will prove my power. Go at once. So that's why they're stalling on killing him, I guess. You know what his energy kind of reminds me of in this issue? The owls? Yeah. Yeah? What? I'm going to say this, but I want to qualify because it gets too often linked in a bad way. Um, The owl and the penguin are often compared. Hmm. But I'm thinking of the penguin in like 2012 and since. Okay, yeah. Like the more refined, collected mob boss kind of penguin. Right. The one who actually could conceivably run crime in Gotham if he could just get, you know, enough. Or actually, he kind of does run crime in Gotham, the organized side of crime. He's also the more legitimate of the villains, like in terms of having clubs and stuff. And mm-hmm. like, and a lot of his stuff at the beginning there about like, you know, being a respectable person who finally gets found out to be a criminal. That's very Kingpin. Uh-huh. That's very 80s Lex Luthor. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot going on here with the owl that we normally associate with villains that have a lot more clout than the owl ends up having. I gotta say, I really loved the first six pages of this story. Yeah, it was really great. Like yeah. I could see this playing out in a, in a show. Right. I was like, wow, they're really making this like kind of low key and real. Like this whole business with him having to defend a bad guy that he wants to capture, and the bad guy being like above the law, and no one can touch him, and. And then they give you page eight where it just goes complete like super villainy. And I kind of lost interest. Uh, well, yeah, the, the, the huge mansion on the side of the mountain. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, and that, and he's like going to be like the evil overlord and he's got gorillas to fight in his, in, in a pen and, and like trap doors and he can glide and stuff. It's like, suddenly it wasn't a court drama anymore. And I was right. It was like noir crime court drama in the first bit. And then, be, and then they're like, Oh, wait a second. We're a superhero comic with a supervillain. Like nowadays, they would have just gone with this thread if it was Daredevil. Yeah. Some stuff with the owl. Like at the beginning, it says his legal name is all but forgotten. And I'm like, (laughs) no, sorry, Leland. We will not let you forget your name. (laughs) What a cool. So Joe Orlando, I feel like I know who that is, but I kind of don't know who that is. But this opening, like first half page panel is pretty dang striking. Yeah. This is a new artist for us. 
I'm looking him up now because I, I he's another name that I know. I think he had like um, previous credits and later credits that we know him for, but not so much in this era. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he drew the Electro issue. Which Did he also really? had some good art in some places. Yeah. Oh, I thought this was a new guy for us, but I guess not. Wow. So we had Bill Everett. He's going to draw the next issue of Daredevil, and then he... Uh-huh. We had Bill Everett, then we had two Joe Orlandos. Right. Okay. Right. I think he did better on this one. I think he did better on this one, too, and I think the inking helps with that. Vince Coletta is also a name we haven't heard a whole lot of times. Well, Vince Coletta was the one who just made uh, Jack Kirby look like Prince Valiant, so maybe it's the combo of these two guys. Yeah. Well, I mean, changing the look of Jack Kirby isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just different from Jack Kirby's usual look. Uh, But he also inked uh, Orlando on the Electro story. Hmm. Well, so he's been they're getting better. He's been busy over on like the romance book. So this uh, the two Daredevils and that uh, Balder story were his first superhero work. Yeah. And he goes on. Vince Coletta goes on to become an inker of quite a bit of renown. He's a very, very busy inker in Silver and Bronze Age Marvel. OK. Um, eventually he settles into Thor and basically he's just inking Kirby on Thor and that's what he does. Yeah, this whole opening business is so cool. Like you just see the owl's hand or his feet or the back of his head, but you see everybody's reaction to him. Mm-hmm. And you just know that he's like this evil, horrible person. And of course, then he really ruins this one guy's life. So you really know he's an evil, horrible person. Which was also reminded me of, the, of, a, of a you know more modern penguin story. Uh-huh. And that's really macabre with the guy. Yeah. Like the papers was- are just dropping and then you never see him again because he gets killed. I couldn't remember well, if he killed himself or he got killed. With the panel of Daredevil, like, in shadow, flipping down the building, at uh-huh. first I thought maybe that was him. Oh, I know, right? Yeah. No, but they established that Daredevil was sitting up there earlier, randomly, yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how did this happen? He walked... Oh, he did kill himself. He walked right in front of a speeding car, as though he didn't care. Right. I kind of figured, but I wasn't sure. Okay, and you know how you know how we usually think of Matt Murdock as, like, I will only defend innocent clients? Yeah, so much for that. Page four is like, yeah, we're going to defend you, Al. Sure. So I like. So here's the funny thing is I've been marathoning the practice. Uh huh. You ever see that show from the nineties no. or whatever? It's about my, my wife watches it. It's so. about defending lawyers, and a lot of it is about their wrestle with conscience, knowing that they're defending bad people. You know, mm. but bad people pay the bills. So in a lot of ways, they build their practice based on defending bad people, so that they can defend good people. Well, well, Murdoch makes a great point about it on page five. He's like, right. you know, every man is entitled to a lawyer. If we attorneys refuse to help accuse people because we think they're guilty, then we're judging them without trial. That's a really, really valid point. Right. So that's what they do in the practice all the time. They always have speeches about why hmm. they do what they do and they try and justify that stuff, mm-hmm. which is true. You should like even if you are guilty, you should have someone on your side who understands the law and how it works and try and give you the best deal they can give you. Uh, yeah, either try to get you off or at least try to get you the best deal they can. Right. Now, at the same time, on that same page, he also says, I've been anxious to learn more about the mysterious aloe, and this is a chance of a lifetime. So is he doing it for selfish reasons, or is he doing it for upstanding moral lawyer reasons? Or both? I feel like I feel like those two can live side by side. Sure, yeah. Every man deserves a lawyer, and also, I want to know more about the owl. Yeah. So let's, let's knock out two birds with one stone. Oh! Yep. Oh! Um... On page seven with oh, uh, the backpack. All right, Matt. What the heck? <laughs> Matt, if you get beat up, 
and unconscious, and they open the backpack and find your wallet and driver's license. How is this a good idea? Right. It's silly. Well, the weird thing is that more modern versions of Spider-Man would also do something like this, like have a little web backpack with all his clothes and stuff inside. But didn't he like store it in an alley somewhere? He wouldn't fight with it, did he? I I can see Ultimate Spider-Man in my head going and fighting with a web backpack on. Okay. It's kind of a neat look, but I just think it's silly that inside is like his wrinkle-free shirt and jacket. And by the way, he says something. What does this mean by using one of those new contact type zippers? Is that Velcro? I I was thinking Ziploc. Okay, because I looked up zipper because I was like, it's not possible that zippers were invented in 1964, is it? And of course they weren't. They were invented much, much earlier than that. So I don't know what a new contact type zipper is. I was thinking contact, I was thinking zippers that you press. And the only thing is zippers that you press or squeeze would be um, the Ziploc zippers. But Okay, that could be. uh, Could be something else. That doesn't sound very sturdy if it's a Ziploc zipper. I can. I, it seems reasonable in my head that Ziploc would have been invented around 64. Yeah, I think I'd rather use a real zipper. But uh, yeah, that's just me. True. On fabric, of course. Yeah. So then the whole story goes tanks from there. Page 8, 9, 10. So I'm done. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> yeah, it goes, just goes super villain mode. Like this is super like Silver Age DC. Why does he have a gorilla in here just to test out a guy can fight? and. And there's Tarzan influence again on page nine with a guy who can take down gorillas because he knows the wrestling moves, which like is straight out of it. Have you ever read Yadda Grice Burroughs, Tarzan? No. So one of the you know more memorable elements to this. Uh, okay. Tarzan is an extreme mixed bag of story. Okay. Because on the one hand, it's a fun little adventure story. On the other hand, it is racist as all get out. Sure. And it is really horrible about how he treats, you know, every ba- basically everyone who's not Caucasian. Right. Um, but, you know, setting that aside, uh, one of the more memorable elements of the story is that Tarzan learns how to take down gorillas by using a full Nelson wrestling hold. <laughs> sure. Without ever being taught what a wrestling hold is. <laughs> you guys go try that. Let me know how it goes. Yeah, of course he's strong, but you know, but yeah. No yeah. one's that strong. I thought this guy was just super strong, but yeah, you're right. He is sane. He's using a wrestling hold. So that's just silliness. So what about the owl gliding through the air? Is this superpowers or is this some sort of cape? Oh, I assumed it was his cape or his trench coat. Um, it just seems like a really weird thing to be able to do with a cape or a coat. It also seems like a really weird thing for him to be so... Um, 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 bravado about because it's not that awesome. Well, I, I I can't glide through the air. I know, it. but he just got through talking to a guy who can wrestle a gorilla and outshoot and can shoot so accurately and quickly that like the bullet hits the other gun in the nozzle or in the hole. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Well, I'll show you why you should never betray me, for I am the most powerful villain of all time. I can glide." <laughs> I think he was reading that X Men Iron Man issue where like. Angel tried to take over the world, and he's like, I want that power. Yeah. To fly. Yeah. And I was thinking about, okay, well, later Spider-Woman glides with just, like, a little bit of armpit web, so. Yeah. Which is weird, because Spider-Man things. has armpit web. Has he ever glided? Glitted? Not, glide? not that I can remember. Yeah. Don't want to add that power to him. Glide, glad, glud? Glided. Has he ever glided? Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, speak. Go ahead. Speaking of the owl. Mm-hmm. Page 12. Okay. Um, where does, where's the, I want to read the line. Where's the line? He says, wait, that odor smells like birds, like, like an owl, but it's coming from the other side <laughs> of the wall. But, but that's gross. 
<laughs> Why does he smell like an owl? Why does he smell oh. and like an owl so strongly as to go through a wall? Well, he well, first of all, it's Daredevil, so all smells go through walls. And he does have an owl who hangs out on his shoulder. That's true. So this is just more of that, like, all throughout this book, and I'm not going to complain about this anymore because we've already established that we don't like it, but the explanations of why he can understand things mm-hmm. just really rolls my eyes, man. But we are also on issue number three, so they have to keep reiterating it for all the new kids who've never heard of Daredevil before. Yeah. But, like, I, well, I'm, actually, I'm just tired of, like, I can tell we're six feet from the ground because of the way the air is flowing underneath us or whatever. Okay, <laughs> shut up. Okay, so so I actually – I understand why you don't like this one. I actually really like this one. Mm. Um, I, I, I'm enjoying all this stuff with the owl. And I understand that it's a superhero comic and it was like a different tone at the beginning. But I thought that that like mental description of the room based on what he can sense was like the most daredevilist power use so far. It's better than the first two issues. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Like listening to the echoes and doing the math to figure out the size of the room. Uh-huh. That is very believable within the confines of Daredevil's powers. True. That is how uh, bats blind as a bat actually works, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. They echo their screams off the walls and stuff or something. Right. They do it, they do it more instinctively than mathematically. Sure. Yeah. And imagine that you're a mob boss, right? Uh-huh. So you get this call. All the mobs are getting together. And you go... And this guy flies in on a rocket-powered broomstick, dressed in green and purple, calling himself the Green Goblin. Okay, that's weird. Now this owl guy (laughs) is, like, trying to get all the mob bosses together. And it's just like, what is the world? I remember in the good old days when you could just shoot people and get people to pay you money, and that's how crime worked, right? It'd be cool to hear read all these stories from their point of view, yeah. Yeah. They're, They're losing business. So speaking of business, do you think it's weird that that Matt just immediately assumed that Daredevil's needed when his client is coming to his office? Uh, I mean, they established he's the client. I mean, yes, he didn't show up in court, but that doesn't mean he's still not your client. Isn't that why he's there? Wouldn't you think that's why he's there? Why else would he be there? That's a great question. Huh. So it seemed like he caused the problem here. Because if he had just been Matt Murdock, Owl would have came in and said, I want to give you a retainer. The end. Yeah, I'm looking at it. There's no real explanation of why he turns the Daredevil, except that can't take any chances. Can't take any chances. Karen's here. They could hurt her. So I'm just going to reveal my... But yeah, identity. this is your client. He is paying you money. Mm-hmm. So, or if they're right, it's supposed to be paying you money. Yeah, maybe that's why he's coming. And I, I realized shortly after that, like, Green Goblin hasn't actually made the move on the mob bosses yet. That's not till the next story that he's in. But but anyway. Well, you could just reverse your analogy then. But um, yeah. You know yeah. what's funny is they go through this whole rigmarole of like this guy's a trick shot and this guy can wrestle gorillas and then Daredevil beats them in one page as if they were just normal guys that can't do anything and we never see these dudes again. Right. The fact that they're called Ape and what is it, Sad Sam or something? Yeah. Like who cares? Apparently, it doesn't matter that they're awesome because Daredevil is better. Yeah, he just takes them out. They show their powers at the beginning, but they don't actually use them in the fight. It's set up for nothing. Well, because they're just there to offer him a retainer. They probably didn't even bring his gun. Right. <laughs> anyway. But he is super smooth with Karen. How do you know me? Oh. I've seen you in my dreams ever since I can remember, Karen. That was the end. Yeah. So he messes up. I didn't do that in my summary. I forgot. He accidentally exclaims Karen. And she's like... Why would Daredevil know who I am? And he's like, no. And then he takes the whole issue to try and come up with a good reason. And that's his reason. 
I yeah, see you about in my dreams, whenever, baby. <laughs> there's this period of time when Foggy pretends to be Daredevil, and I'm thinking, like, he knew who I was. It must have been Foggy. Yeah. Oh, speaking of Foggy, he's drawn really weird in this. He's like a normal-looking uh, guy. Back in the beginning, Like right? a handsome fellow. Like, they didn't get the memo that he's supposed to be a little dumpy or something. Yeah, well, his dumpiness is not really that much of a thing early on. He's just... That's true, like, but I, I th- he seems more handsome in number three than one and two, but yeah. maybe I don't remember correctly. Yeah, he definitely seems like a good-looking guy there. He's not going to start putting on weight for a little while. And I think they make a lot more of a big deal of it than it actually is. I mean, he's, I guess, fat by 1960s standards when everyone's supposed to be trim because, mm-hmm. I don't know, America. Because um, <laughs> they hang out with superheroes with six-packs. Yeah. All right, I had to look up the history. Okay. Because judging by the amount of pulse beats I hear, the police got them all, including Ape and Silent Silent Sam. That's his name, not Sad Sam. It's the biggest haul since Appalachian. So I went and looked it up. It's not Appalachian. It's spelled differently. It's Appalachian. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe the Barber Barbera, uh, at his home, there was this huge meeting of like a hundred different mobsters from all over the country. Okay. And uh, Vito Genovese called the meeting. And this was the first time that the um, there was public proof of national connections between different branches of crime. Uh-huh. Um, the FBI had always denied it up to that point, that crime in one city and crime in another city had nothing to do with each other. But evidently, all this mobster moving and shaking in 1960s comics is at least inspired by actual events, because in the late 50s, They'd realize organized crime, nationally organized crime, is a thing. Wow. That's such a movie trope, too, now. It's like all the bad guys getting together from different cities and countries and stuff. Right, right. So that's where it started, huh? Or -hmm. or where it was revealed, anyway. Right, exactly, revealed. Now, before we wrap up our discussion of this, we are going to address some comments that were sent to us by the one, the only, Dave of Dave's Daredevil Podcast. J. David Weeder writes about Daredevil 3 saying, The Owl is one of the most underused villains in Silver Age Marvel. He's ruthless and should have been a Kingpin-level villain, but still hasn't really been given his chance to shine. And I I, I kind of got that feeling from the comic. He's, he was pretty dangerous. His intro was very Kingpin. Oh, yeah, yeah, those opening scenes. Before he turned into the James Bond villain, like, it was all about, like, this guy who's just, like... You can't prove he's a bad guy, but everybody knows he's a bad guy. Mm-hmm. That's very Kingpin, or at least what Kingpin will eventually become. Right, right, yeah. And he was just, he was living his life and doing his thing. And we come into his story just as he becomes culpable. But mm-hmm. before that, you know, he was living on top of a crime empire and raping and raking in the rewards. Yeah. Um, David goes on to say he's manipulative and has a full-on physical threat level while possessing no moral restrictions at all. His lack of good storylines has been a major misstep in Daredevil lore. Yeah, he doesn't – I mean, I can't think of any – I think they use him in like more recent Daredevil stories, don't they? Like with Brubaker – Bendis or Brubaker? Bendis or Brubaker or something like that? Maybe. I read that run a good long while ago. It's probably been close to 10 years ago that I read that run. Um, The last time I remember seeing the owl was kind of as a joke villain in maybe an alias storyline or something. Okay. And Um, he was was the old man in – not the old man like he was old, but like he was a guy in the uh, Netflix TV series season one. mm -hmm. But I think he then just kind of disappears and we don't ever – 
see him again. He may have died or he may have left to look after his own interests. He was he was basically, you know, that that show has a lot of different players from different parts of the world. And mm-hmm. he was kind of the the topest dog of all of the forces besides the kingpin, or at least of the American interests besides the right. kingpin. He was one of the head gangsters of all the different factions. But uh, I don't think they called him the owl or anything, but his secret but his name was whatever the owl's secret identity is. Leland Owlsley. Of course. There right. you go. So, yeah. So, thank you, Dave, for writing that in. We'll try to have Dave's comments as much as possible for Daredevil as we go on. Okay. Well, we got one more, unless you have anything else on Daredevil. Just one last thing I liked or disliked, maybe, that he didn't use the billy club to free Karen because he was worried she'd recognize it as his walking stick. So, there's a there's a drawback to having a handy walking stick that turns into your superhero weapon when you're around people that know you. <laughs> They're like, hey, isn't that the same color and shape and size as Matt's walking stick? Anyway. Like um, like whatever they discover on the guy's body in the movie. Yeah. All right. Sure. Moving on. Tales to Astonish. You got this one. This is the end of an era, folks. This is the Incredible Hulk battles Giant Man. Mm-hmm. After this, Tales to Astonish becomes a two-hero book. Oh, so Giant Man survives? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Giant Man survives. Uh, Namor is going to replace him with issue 70. So, um, That's so far away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. We're doing an average of three episodes per month, and it's going to be 11 months, so 33 episodes. Wow. Wow. It's weird to say it like that. Yep. Remember when Avengers 1 was 30 episodes away? <laughs> hey, well, we're digging in there now. Yeah, yeah, you know, time goes by. Time goes, time by. goes by. 52 a year plus specials. Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, this is Giant Man and the Wonderful Wasp in Enter the Hulk. And I'm glad they put the colon there because that's, you know. How it should be. Give, right. Otherwise, <laughs> Enter the Hulk it just sounds like a really. Uh, it sounds like putting Fantastic Four on the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> The thing is such a bottom. Okay, so our unusual tale begins with a meeting of the world's most powerful fighting team, the Avengers. We've got this really cool splash page of all the Avengers kind of hanging out. And Giant Man is, of course, huge. And Iron Man's like riding on his barbell for no reason. Um, Thor is perched on his shoulder in a weird way. He's like this, swinging on the little ring. He's like uh, touching Iron this, Giant Man as he swings by. This pinup is all kinds of wrong, but... Yeah, there's, I mean, it starts out looking cool, but gets more and more <laughs> wrong as you look at it. Because <laughs> you just have to figure, why, how did this happen? What's going on right. here? Anyway. And I don't even know what those are on the bottom there. They look like they're the wrong shape like, for a kid's comic. <laughs> yeah. I think they're supposed to be giant, like, individual curling bicep thingies. Yeah, but curling bicep weights. You could tell they right, work out. Right. What are those things? This was rapidly written by Stanley and dashingly drawn by Dick Ayers and instantly inked by P. Reinman and lazily lettered by Art Semek. Aw. Aw. So guess who's back, kids? It's the human top. Because we wanted him back so bad. Totally. So what's his name? Davey Cannon? Is, oh, sure. Is I feel like it's Dave Buchanan. Davey Cannon is just chilling out watching uh, the newspapers and reading about how Giant Man is so awesome. And it's like, you know what? I remember fighting Giant Man and I lost and that sucks. But, you know, I've gotten more powerful since then. I can spin more quickly and I've learned how to take the air 
pressure that's caused by my spin and like fire it at people because that makes all the sense in the world. Meanwhile, the Avengers are watching footage of the Spider-Man Hulk fight from Amazing Spider-Man 14. Like, ooh, the Hulk fought Spider-Man. And then the Avengers leave. See you later, Giant Man. And Giant Man's like, see you later, Avengers. And Hank and Jan are talking. And Hank's like, you know, I miss the Hulk. We used to have so much fun together. I wonder how the big guy's doing now. And Jan's like, hey, hey, Hank, we have a date tonight. Can we, um, can we focus? So they leave and they go on their date. And while they're walking down the street, for some reason, Giant Man did not change clothes. So he's still in his costume. And Jan is getting all the wolf whistles and cat calls and all of the bull stuff that women have to put up with as they walk down the street that they should not have to put up with. So if you're listening to this and you do that, stop it. Um, until Giant Man's had enough. He's like, you know what? He turns into Giant Man right in front of them and scares them off, grabs some of them and like hikes them up by lampposts and by hanging long johns and all sorts of stuff. Teach them a lesson. Um, Davy Cannon sees them from a window, turns into the human top and skadooshes down and starts following them. Hears them talking about going to Arizona to find the Hulk because um, Jan thought they were going on a date. And Hank's like, oh no, we're going to the airport. It's time to go to Arizona. She doesn't even complain either. It's weird. So they go to the airport. They fly to Arizona. They grab a helicopter, which they take to the Air Force Base. Like, hey, Thunderbolt Ross, where's the Hulk been? And Ross is like, I haven't seen the Hulk for weeks. I'm busy. Go talk to my scientist, Dr. Banner. He's useless. You go talk to him. And they talk to Dr. Banner. Dr. Banner's like, I don't know anything about the Hulk. In fact, I really wish you'd stop asking. Why would I know about the Hulk? I'm just, I'm just Dr. Banner. Stop asking me. Stop bothering me. And Giant Man leaves. And he's like, they're always hounding the Hulk. And he drives off. He gets angry. And when he gets angry, he undergoes a strange transformation. And he turns into the Hulk. And he wrecks his Jeep. And he jumps away. Meanwhile, Betty is all like, oh no, Bruce. And she follows him and catches up to his wrecked Jeep. She's like, was Bruce taken by the Hulk? Oh no. Uh, Meanwhile, Ant-Man and the Wasp have followed all of this. They didn't see him turn into the Hulk, but they catch up to the whole thing. Um, The human top has somehow followed everyone to Arizona. So he goes up to the Hulk. He's like, hey, Hulk, I'm your friend. Giant Man's not. He's over there. He's hounding you. So you should totally go after him. And Hulk's like, I want to go beat up Giant Man because I'm the Hulk and he's an Avenger and I hate the Avengers. And there's more fighting and there's more tromping. Um, Hulk does not believe any of Giant Man's efforts to calm him down. So every time Giant Man says anything, Hulk's like, I don't believe you. You're you're dumb. You're stupid. I'm going to beat you up. At one point, the the army decide to fire a nuclear missile at the Hulk and Giant Man. Now, they're fighting in a town that has been evacuated, but they are fighting in a town, and they're going to nuke the town. Um, the Wasp grabs the front of the missile, tries to redirect it, can't, tries to disarm it, can't, contacts Hank on their an- uh, helmet antenna, and is like, Hank, you're about to get nuked. And he's like, well, crap. Hey, Hulk, we're about to get nuked. You see that thing? See that thing coming towards us? That's a nuke. You want to do something about it? Hulk's like, you know what? I would probably survive. It'd be fun to watch you die. But instead, I'd like to kill you. So I'm going to go stop that missile. So he jumps up and he grabs the bomb. But instead of redirecting it or anything, the bomb's force just like totally carries the Hulk with it. And they explode in the mountains. Human Top runs away. Hulk is caught in the blast. Turns back to Bruce Banner. 
Bruce Banner in his tattered clothing goes back to base, but is like, yay, Bruce is free. Jaiman's like, well, crap, I lost the Hulk. Uh, going back to Avengers. Next Avengers meeting. Well, I guess nothing's been going on. Bye. The end. <laughs> yep. Pretty good little tale. This was fun. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of action in the middle that I kind of skipped over, but it was actually action that was kind of fun to read. I like that Giant Man is the first Avenger to realize maybe, kind of, sort of. He doesn't quite say it, but like maybe the Avengers didn't handle Hulk very well. Right. Like, he's they're watching the footage and all the rest of Avengers are like, no dealing with that freak. And they all leave, and he's like, yeah, no dealing with that. Let's go find him, because I want to apologize and see if I can get him to come back and be cool. Right. But then he, like, confronts him physically, and that never works. And so he didn't really have a great strategy, but at least his heart was in the right place. Well, it doesn't help that the human top was rising him up the whole time. So do you think the human top was at all necessary in this story? No, because I think... Even though, even though I just said it, the human top rising him up wasn't wasn't helpful. The Hulk could have still had that attitude the entire time without the human top there. He did. So it's weird that the human top was there because the human top, you're right, was a non-element in the story. I mean, the only thing he really influences <laughs> is I think he pretends to be a normal person when he tells General Ross that the Hulk is in that town. Mm-hmm. Is he the one who does that? Yes, he is. But anyone could have done but that. But anyone could have done that, right. Or the or General Ross could have just figured it out because it's probably pretty obvious that the town has been right. evacuated. So, yeah, it was weird. It was weird. And, he, and they make a – you know, it's a fun little gimmick idea that he, Iron Man – Iron Man, Giant Man never sees the villain. Uh-huh. But at the same time, that means that the villain never affects Giant Man in any notable <laughs> way. Right. So, once again, uh, third appearance at the top, Dynamite. Yeah, super awesome guy. Yeah. Hulk versus Giant Man is not really one of those classic fights that people talk about. No. But I will always remember how it was handled in the Ultimates. Yes. Exactly. Giant Man was so big that the Hulk fit in the palm of his hand and he smashed the Hulk against the side of a building. Yes. But then also, Giant Man was so cocky about being so big that Hulk jumps up onto his face and starts ripping his mouth open. And, yeah, that was also bad. And freaking him out. Because if you think about it, the Hulk is way stronger than Giant Man. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's a bad thing to be that big when the Hulk is there because you're making just a big target for yourself. Right. Like imagine a fly or a mosquito sized thing, but it has the power to like knock you over, open your mouth for you and punch you in the face and Uh all this other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I remember Giant Man, like at first it was cool that he showed up and then like pretty quickly Hulk turned the table and made him panic because he wasn't exactly the greatest superhero in the Ultimates. Yeah. Well, yeah, they they did the whole thing in the Ultimates where it's like, really confident, but then actually not that great, which I think really encapsulates the early stuff with Giant Man of this era. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of true. Well, huh? they, they even reference it in this is like, he's well. It, I think it's in the, uh, the feature right in the back. He's like, he's so much more awesome than he was last year. Yeah. He, he year grows ago, proportionally whatever. weaker, the bigger he gets. That's yeah. After 12 feet. That's great. Right. Kids. That sounds awesome. <laughs> okay. We're watching this PowerPoint presentation of Spider-Man and the Hulk, which is a fight that happened entirely in a cave. Right. But it w- you're right. They never did come out of that cave, did they? Nope. So all the camera they- stuff was outside the cave when they were filming the fake movie? The fake movie. Mm-hmm. Maybe they so had mini cameras on them or something. 
Well, I was thinking, you know, we didn't see Peter photograph the fight, but maybe he did off camera. Maybe we shouldn't see him put his camera up and photograph the fight. Also, the caves were so dark that his advantage was that he had a spider sense and could navigate better than they could. Oh, yeah. So the flashes of light would be detrimental to that. Yeah. Oh, well, at least there's a tie-in to Spider-Man number 14. That's kind of cool. That is cool because that that Hulk story seems sort of like, you know, off from the rest of the Hulk stories Mm -hmm. that, you know – Make that little through line, narrative through line. Mm-hmm. And Giant Man's like, I wonder what it became of the Hulk. I can't help feeling sorry for him. And Cap says, I wonder how he feels about us right now. And I'm like, he hates you. <laughs> Do you have to Cap wonder? And Hank, y'all were assholes to him. You stole Rick Jones. Well, you didn't actually steal Rick. You but, treated you know, him like a villain. Yes. And when he was on your team, you said so many mean things to him. Yeah. Even though he had three toes at the time. Not to say that he was like, putting in any effort either but still but still i mean if if a character exists because in order to be to in order to exist he has to be angry you got to cut him a little slack right right which they do the whole like raising blood pressure getting angry trigger in this uh-huh true and it might not be the very first time they've done that but since they're starting an ongoing next issue i feel like they're establishing okay you know what this is how the hulk's gonna work now in our story and this is what we're going to use because in avengers the last time we saw him was with the big meteor coming out of the earth you know and mm-hmm. he was just standing there talking analytically about how the stuff works and he's like oh the avengers are here and then kind of just had like a heart attack and turned into the hulk right right so maybe that was an- anxious inducing also but anxiety inducing but this seems more on point speaking of establishing things with the Hulk there's also a panel where he says the matter Hulk gets the stronger Hulk gets yes so now I mean we have no legitimate answer to this but do you think that was just a throwaway line that ended up being a thing or do you think uh, they really want that to be a thing no I think you're I think it's a, a kind of a throwaway line that just seems to make sense to describe the Hulk not really as like a set rule but like just oh that sounds good because mm-hmm. um I thought it was not established until way down the road because in about two years, they do another similar line that the matter he gets, the stronger he gets. Mm-hmm. But between those two, it's not like it's not like a thing they say. Okay, yeah. It just seems like something he would say out of arrogance or something. Right. Um, what do you think of Bruce being mean to Betty? That was weird. Yeah. Little grumpy pants. It's also weird that Bruce was paranoid about Giant Man. Well, well kind of. If he doesn't want to be found out and he doesn't want to be bothered and he doesn't want to ever turn to the Hulk, then the Avengers showing up at your job wondering where your alter ego is, that could be annoying. I get that. I agree with that. This is the way it's phrased. So the Avengers are still seeking the Hulk. Will they never leave him in peace? Yeah. It's just like, oh. He's got a point. He also has the emo Spider-Man 3 haircut. So maybe he's been possessed or something. (laughs) Okay. So remember how... Hank can now change Jan's size for her. Uh-huh. And he does that and she yells at him. She did yell at him. She yelled at him last time too, but he hasn't fixed it. He says Henry she says Henry J Pym, I asked you not to do that. You're just showing off with your new cybernetic mental size control, that's all. And the last part is just, you know, you know, exposition of how he can do it, but she says I asked you not to do that. But on that note, now that we don't have pills anymore, he does a cool fight move in here. That is way cooler because he doesn't have to s- talk about swallowing a stupid pill. Which uh, we're looking at. Where on page 14, the Hulk jumps on his shoulders and tries to crush his face. And he turns to the Ant-Man, which makes the Hulk like just floating in the air comically and then fall on his butt. 
mm-hmm. then immediately he can change back to Giant Man and grab him by the head. So that's like the one. Yes. That's like the one cool Giant Man move he pulled. Didn't last long because immediately after that, the Hulk grabs a chunk of building and breaks his shoulder. But still, that was neat because in the past that would have been I have to quickly take a capsule and then take another capsule, and now he doesn't have to do that anymore. Right, and I, at that point in the story, I was like, I need to see something like this on screen. I need to he, see Paul Rudd's Ant Man and Mark Ruffalo's Hulk. Oh, I need to yeah, see yeah. This going back and forth. Yeah, because this is more how he and the Wasp fight in the MCU. They shrink and grow and shrink and grow and mm-hmm. and confuse everybody, which is how you would do it. That's what I would do. Yeah. Um. So Robert Bruce Banner is made canon in this story. Okay. I didn't notice that. On page six, it had been discussed in the letter column because, of course, whenever he got the name wrong for several issues in a row with the Fantastic Four, uh, they're like, yo, dude, his name is not Bruce. It's, his name is not Robert. It's Bruce. And like, oh, it's both. It's both. And after he yells at Betty, he drives away. I love her far more you know, to involve her in this problem. How could she, sus- uh, how could she know or suspect that the man she knows as Dr. Robert Bruce Banner is in reality the Incredible Hulk. Incredible Hulk? Oh. Was it called uh-huh. Incredible Hulk originally? The first six issues? The the first six, yeah, that was okay. the Incredible Hulk. I thought that was another new thing. But no, it's not. I just have a bad memory. Okay. Incredible Hulk. And um, I'm running out of at least important things that I thought. Okay, um, so what do you, con- do you think that the Hulk here at the end when he's like, I'm pretty sure I could survive and it'd be fun to see you blow up, but I want to kill you myself so I'll save you. That's all like kind of thing. I don't really want to show you that I'm a good guy talk, right? Like he's not, his motivation isn't really to save giant man so that he can kill him himself. It's cause he's going to save Iron Man. Cause deep down inside, he doesn't want people to die. Well, that's what Jan says at the end. I think so too. You think so too? We, he's the Hulk. We know he's ultimately a good guy when it comes down to it. I guess I'll buy that for a dollar, but whenever I read it, I was like, Oh, okay. So that's how it is. Yeah. He'd rather beat up the giant man himself than let him be killed by a bomb. Yeah. Well, I mean, finish you could mean just win in a fight and not explode you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we have an atomic explosion. Uh, I guess Human Top got away just in time or he'd be dead. And um, and General Ross didn't want to be bothered about the Hulk. Which is weird. Which is like um, not one-dimensional J. Jonah Jameson, I hate Spider-Man characterization well at this point according to ross the hulk is like several weeks in the past like life has moved on it's like i have there a, is no i hulk. have a base to run i have a job right bruce banner has been around he's been living his life and doing his thing so i guess the stuff with spider-man was actually several weeks in the past okay or um, or just not something on R- ross's radar maybe the timing of it was such that ross never realized and the hulk never actually showed up near camp yeah but it's just kind of cool because, like, it's nice to know that he isn't just completely obsessed to the detriment of everything else to find the Hulk. Mm. That'll change. But with the uh, with the relationship between Bruce and Betty, with the dynamic of Bruce disappearing and, you know, being rediscovered, like, you know, bringing back that stuff from the old, mm. with Thunderbolt Ross, you know, being there and complaining about Bruce, it feels like we're reestablishing all of the Hulk stuff because next month, guess what? Next month he gets a book. Next month he has to have some supporting cast again. Right. Where's Rick Jones? Oh, he's with Cap. Yeah. So he won't even so he won't even be in those stories. Interesting. That'll be different because he was heavily in the first six issues. Yes, yes, he was. This is be very, very much a solo Hulk book for a while. Rick Jones does come back. I just forget exactly how and when. Yeah. After Captain America 110. 
So a long time from now, maybe? I don't know. Uh, no, no, he, yeah, he comes back to the Hulk before that for a while. Oh, he just so. waffles back and forth? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, that traitor. <laughs> he's just trying to, he's just, he's a, he's a willing sidekick. He'll go wherever he's wanting. Yeah. A giant man bonus special feature. This, well, there's uh, this also issue. a nice big splash page that I guess isn't a story. It's just an ad, but it says Hulk lovers of the world hearken to this message from the Marvel Wolfman, a special announcement. And then it basically tells us what we already told you, that he's going to start sharing yes, the book. Yes, you are right. It is a very cool house ad, and we should share that on the Twitter feed. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a Kirby drawing of the Hulk, uh-huh. but it is an old school Hulk advertising the upcoming Tales to Astonish series. And it shows the new corner box. Hey, look at the new corner box. Which, by the way... It, it was my favorite corner box, but then they just kind of shoehorned the Hulk's head in there, and now it's not as cool. Oh, well. I guess I had to change eventually. Yeah, what you going to do? What are you going to do? But yeah, there's also a bonus special. So it's, that's what I'm about Hank and Jen. We got one of these for Iron Man a couple months ago. We're just kind of like detailing the stuff about the things they can do. Um, it's not anything too notable. No. Uh, we get the, the tension ring that lifts him up to his house. We get Wasp's air gun. We get the ant chariot. We get... Um, his grappling thing that lets him like get pulled up to walls and stuff. Mm. Now we did mention in a previous issue when he stopped using the pills that he was wearing a helmet. And I think you and I both scratched our head like, no, he's not. I don't know that I realized the stripes on the side of his head are supposed to be the circuitry that like does all the stuff, like communicate with the wasp and change his size and everything. So, right. So that's he's had those blue stripes since the beginning. Yeah. So I guess they've just decided that's not just decorative. There's microchips under there, and that's how he changes things. I had a microchip and talks to the ants because he's giant man. And they ask at the end of the featurette, "Hey, do you want more of these featurettes?" But we never get more. Wasp was like, "Yeah, the next one will probably have me." Nope. He can press two thousand pounds. I like when they give you actual numbers sometimes, even though people hold. Yeah. People hold everything to that, and then it ruins conversation. But sometimes it's neat. Two thousand pounds. That's pretty good. It's not over nine thousand. It's not nearly Hulk strength at all but yeah two thousand pounds i'd take it i would too and i think that brings us to the end of yet another journey through early marvel yeah yeah put a little dent in june yeah june 2nd was a good week we got all of the superhero books from june 2nd in one go we'll dive into june 9th next time we'll talk more about our homework in just a moment because i think i want to thank some people for following us in the places Mm mm-hmm um, let me go over to that list with the Makers Marvel Twitter and hit the followers list. And last episode, I left off with Marvel Comics UK. So we have Ryan Hall at Mighty Mjolnir, an unimportant person in an unimportant state with very unimportant random thoughts. We have Mono, a lifelong fan of the Legion of Superheroes and their greatest villains, the Fatal Five. He is at Invalidus. Let's Talk Kang, one of those Let's Talk accounts online, um, at Let's Talk Kang. He is a, f- a fan account of all about the would-be conqueror of reality, the badass time lord with an attitude, the unchallenged master of the rant, Ravana Lives. Wow. We have uh, MOS6502. We have uh, Gentle Slam at Slam and Pages. We have Not That Matt Moore. At Gorilla Scribe, uh, Dave of the Realms at Comic Book Herald. So Comic Book Herald is following us. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. If you like this journey, 
but would like an alternative take that is less exhaustive. So they don't cover every book. They cover like 10 important books out of each year. Mm-hmm. And so they do, they do this a podcast called My Marvelous Year. And they'll just like, <sighs> why didn't we think of that? Right. <laughs> so they're going a bit more quickly because they're just pulling out what, you know, the 10 most important or whatever, most notable books, or they maybe their favorite books. I don't know. I've only read, let's do a couple of episodes so far. You want to know why but they do a pretty good. You show. want to know why we didn't do that? We would still be working on that list. Yeah. That's why. And yeah. we'd ultimately we'd, end up covering everything anyway, because we are wired weird and can't give up things. <laughs> but I do recommend at comic Herald and at my marvelous year. We have Bilal Larby, and we have Tech Furtado. We have at Max Carnage HS. He's a spider friend. Um, we have Andrew, mainly here for comics and a quiet life. And finally, following us on Twitter, I want to send a thank you for the follow to the Cactus Kid at Doc underscore Masters, exploring the old west of the Marvel Universe. So cool. those are all of our followers over on the, the Twitter. old West. That's interesting. Yeah. We got an email about that today. We're going to have to talk about it in our next uh, email. If episode. we can find someone that's exploring the old romance, we could tie all three of us together and just cover everything. Sweet. Yeah. The trifecta. We should do that. We should. Where can they find us, Mike? They can find all of our episodes about superheroes and not Westerns and romances at makearsmarvel.com. All 50. How many are we on now? 58 episodes plus specials plus mailbag uh, episodes are up there. You can play right there on your monitor. But who would do that? Because you have portable devices that are much handier. So you can also follow the links to do that with iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play, etc. You can find our social media there. Links to that, Facebook and Twitter. And lastly, you can mail us with the form on the site or you could just write us directly with the podcast at makearsmarvel.com. You can find me on Twitter at John Reads Comics. You can follow my other shows. I have an Image Comics podcast, All the Pouches, which is on Twitter at All the Pouches. I have a uh, Go Ranger commentary podcast with my son. It's on Twitter at Silly Sentai. Both of those shows are also at my website, johnreadscomics.com. And um, I have a tweet blog about the Scarlet Witch on Twitter at it's Wanda time. Want to send thank yous to Scott McFadden, Logan Kerwin, Rob Haltman, and Chris Ashmore for liking a show on Facebook. Everybody, please do feel free to retweet, share posts, talk, talk about us, mention us at us, whatever it is you do to spread us in your circles of love. Create some sort of controversy. That really gets hits. Something bad about us. What are we doing wrong? That'd be great. What? What? I did not do that. (laughs) No, we should do that. So we get more hits. And um, and send us emails because we love those. Yeah. What are, we, what are we doing next week? Next week, for those who want to read along, you've got a week to read three issues. We're going to do Sergeant Fury number nine, uh, which looks like Sergeant Fury is going to arrest Hitler. So that'll be handy for World War II. Uh, we have Avengers number seven, where the Avengers fight Thor. Why? Maybe the Masters of Evil. And then we have Amazing Spider-Man number 16, where Spider-Man fights Daredevil. Why? Maybe because of the Ringmaster. But maybe not, because I actually haven't read those yet. So I don't know either. We'll find out. So until then, or until Carnilla, the Queen of the Norns, marries Hela, the Queen of Death, make ours marvel. marvel.